Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about a natural approach to health, to hormone balance, and to regaining energy and lifting our moods. And I think today, as we think about menopause, we don't just think there's either a holistic way or a medical way, but more and more we see the importance of bringing together a whole way of treating us who are going through this time of life. And so I'm particularly interested today to introduce you to my guest. She is a naturopathic physician and therefore her interest in the know is very much in that holistic, whole person approach. And so I'm delighted to introduce you to Adiola Mead. Welcome to the show, Adiola. Thank you so much for having me, Clarissa. It is wonderful. Firstly, for my listeners who may not know what a naturopathic physician is, tell us a little bit about that and how that became your path. Sure. Naturopathic medicine is a system of medicine where the focus is on um, identifying root causes of illnesses and treating persons as a whole. So not a collection of different systems that are um, separate from each other, but interrelated systems making up an organism and also really just person and trying to see that person as someone who is experiencing imbalances and finding ways naturally that come naturally to the body and use natural methods to bring the person back into balance. So the background standard medical school with um, four years of instruction and then residencies and clinical um, experiences and then moving forward into more of a primary care role. Um, some people do specialize, but that's some of the education and the, the goal is to work along with the body's healing, inherent healing. Which is quite different to I've got a symptom, let's find a way to fix it. Exactly. Symptom is usually just like smoke pointing to a fire somewhere else in the body. And it's often related to other symptoms. So naturopathic medicine is ideally a way to find that underlying root cause and to take care of symptoms by addressing the reason why they are showing up at this given time for this given person. Yeah, which is probably a more lasting solution for the person rather than patching over what appear on the surface like symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm uh, not in the business of putting out symptom fires. <laughs> I feel like that's what a lot of medicine ends up looking. Oh, you have this pain, here's something for pain. Oh, that gave you some other side effect, here's something for the side effect. Oh, you have something with this system, here's something for that system. Before you know it, you have stacks and stacks of recommendations and medications and it's, it's really confusing to follow a case or even figure out how to feel better. Yeah. And in today's world, a lot of our uh, symptoms that show up are a part of a, a more underlying chronic health condition. Am I right, Adiola? Absolutely. They're certainly not isolated and often under chronic diseases, there's some aspect of chronic inflammation, which is like chronic um, activation of the immune system, which can be from, you know, damaged cells, hormonal imbalances, stress, so many different reasons we can end up with some sort of damage to our cells and our immune system will be activated. That's what it's supposed to do. And it's supposed to do that 
short term to help you reach a place of healing. We just have so much exposure, environmental exposure, stresses, dietary exposure that contribute to a chronic inflammatory experience. So instead of you getting a cut, for example, and having it get red and swollen, and then eventually healing over a, a manner of minutes or hours, now we have basically raging inflammatory fires going on throughout in our bodies, and then causing more issues because the immune system isn't supposed to be in that mode for long periods of time. You can end up with more damage because the immune response isn't succinct. No. So what you have is things that don't go away. So I presume you end up with things like IBS and IBD and a whole host of other things that seem to be last forever. Yes, IBS, IBD, even long-term effects of diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, chronic skin issues, for sure, and fatigue, um, thyroid imbalances, all those things are signs of some sort of chronic inflammatory experience that you're having that needs to be addressed. Yes, and, and I think you pointed to some of the underlying causes. Those are clearly, that they're, they're a broad range, but what are some of the most common underlying causes that you see with your patients and then the public at large? Yeah, I'd say the number one underlying cause I see is often stress, really. We're under just loads of stress anymore. And it's not just feeling nervous that something's going to happen. We're talking about work environments that are incredibly stressful and high pressured, relational stresses, and financial insecurity, even food insecurity. And these people are really pressured these days with feeling out of control and not having autonomy and it causes quite a bit of stress and that translates to changes in the body producing lots more cortisol which shifts the way our, even our reproductive hormones and our thyroid work so I'm seeing lots more fatigue and shifts in reproductive hormone function and digestive concerns which can be like a function of shifts in both hormones and immune function. So stress, I would say, is the number one reason people are coming in these days with mood issues, digestive issues, fatigue, and so on and so forth. And then every once in a while, there's like a, a chronic infection that needs to be dealt with for sure. Really often, it's hard to heal if you're under quite a bit of stress. So it leads us back to this, the stress piece as well. And often it's diet as well. We are so far away from eating in a way that is therapeutic and food is medicine. I think we've come far away from learning how to use food as our medicine and eating therapeutically. So we eat a lot more processed foods that are just not healthy for the body and they contribute to inflammation as well. So those are some of the common yeah. ones. And there is definitely a much bigger discussion or debate, should I say, around the whole gut microbiome and its role in chronic health issues. And that is something I'm sure that you will talk a little bit more about. But as you said, processed foods really do cause a lot of issues and it's hard to escape them these days, isn't it? It really is. You have to be quite intentional 
about what you're buying, where it's from, how it was grown, how it was processed, if it's processed, and then how you prepare it as well to have the kind of diet that really is therapeutic. And it's not, it's certainly not impossible, but it requires a certain level of attention and intention and then being committed to eating foods that are quite healthful to your body because you just have to want it learn about it and then take steps um, moving in the direction of making food your real medicine your fuel and your medicine yeah and a lot of people have as you said sometimes food insecurity and also for a lot of people in many countries food is very polluted isn't it there's a lot of chemicals and it's a lot of GMO etc which we maybe don't know the long-term impact of. It's true. And people argue that you need to genetically modify foods and use all sorts of pesticides to produce foods at the scale that is necessary to feed a population. And that is, oh gosh, inconclusive, should we say? <laughs> that's a good way to say that. I think that's very true. But maybe it's when we get into like monocultures and they grow great swathes of everything. That becomes yeah. a long way away from the way that we would have eaten a few generations ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And our bodies don't adapt that quickly, you know, to such big shifts. No, and it's a very big shift. Like To industrialize food is... Is important for an economy, but as far as the health of the people, I have not seen evidence that's made a big difference unless you're making, you're producing food that is truly healthy and then taking care of the soils too. It's not just the food. We have to think about the, the soil that the food comes from and how we're treating that. That's a, a big issue now, right? Like how do we treat the earth that is supposed to produce healthy food for us? So there's just many layers of intentionality that is required to to produce food that is really healthful and nutritious and and sustainable so that you can continue to have that high level of food and we really need to do better at taking care of our environment so that food is not polluted and if we don't eat polluted food then we don't pollute our bodies and we're more likely to be healthy long term which sounds very logical if you think of the cost of healthcare and especially in the US where that is passed to the consumer and, and in Europe it's passed to the taxpayer. So one way all around we pay, that makes it not very logical anymore to just keep pumping out food that is not helping us to be well. That's true. And you mentioned the cost, like either way we pay. And I was just thinking yesterday about how we, we do pay. We pay for healthcare, we pay for food, which really should be our, our fuel. Sometimes when people go for to pay for health care, be it to see the doctor or to get special care for any concerns they have, I think some people feel like, oh, this is so expensive. And I think there's a lot of cost that's incurred in not feeling well. Like we just don't, we think of costs in so many different ways, like the monetary value of having to see a doctor, having to undergo several treatments. But what's the cost of waking up and not feeling what's the cost of not being able to do the things that you love to do or breathe properly or feel at ease or there's so many intangible costs to not intentionally taking care of our soil growing healthy food developing processes that help people who grow the food feel secure and supported in our communities there's just so many layers and all those things are also a cost if we don't do them and pay attention to them 
Yes, it's very, it is very true. And I think when we think about it like that, it makes us think, I, I, I'm a small part of the chain, but I can do my bit as an individual. Absolutely. That's all we can do ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. We just, the, we have to do the best we can, I think. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a bit more about menopause because that is something where a lot of people, I think, see that as being about symptoms and about feeling out of balance. But that's not true for every woman, is it, Adiola? Some women have a way smoother transition into menopause than others. And I have found through practice and also just living in different parts of the world and seeing different cultural experiences of the transition into menopause that it doesn't have to be this incredibly symptomatic raging hormonal shifts or hot flashes or cognitive um, deficits as well I, I've just seen lots of women forget that they're no longer menstruating and everything just comes into balance um, a lot more smoothly and I again to go back to to stress. I see that it's women who have had long-term stress, actually, that have the hardest turn moving into menopause. And part of that is because in the body, we have base from which we make hormones, right? So you need healthy fats to make hormones. And there are two pathways to make either stress hormones or reproductive hormones, progesterone, for example, or cortisol. And when women are under quite a bit of stress, through the menstruating years and leading into menopause, they would have made so much of that stress management hormone, the cortisol, that they would have ended up making less and less of the progesterone to balance off estrogen and feel less of the side effects. Then when the ovaries stop producing as much progesterone and estrogen during menopause, um, the adrenal glands, which produce cortisol are supposed to take over even just a little bit so that you have a nice balance. But if they've been spending so much time over the years produ producing cortisol, they're less able to make you that buffer reproductive hormone reserve. And then it's really tough to have a smooth transition and more symptoms. Yes. I, and I think that was a really clear pathway that you explained there. And I, I think people sometimes think that if they just have hormone replacement therapy, they'll be fine. But the adrenals are really so important in our long-term health and well-being, aren't they? Absolutely. And they're, they produce adrenaline and or epinephrine and norepinephrine and neurotransmitters, but also cortisol. And they respond, the body responds the same way under stress. If you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, or if you have to have lunch with your mother-in-law, <laughs> that you don't enjoy. <laughs> anything you don't enjoy, <laughs> anything you don't enjoy, anything that makes you nervous or makes you feel vulnerable, your body responds the exact same way. So the adrenal glands are just always doing that in a, sh a short amount of time of. Um, producing stress hormones, it's actually really good for us. It motivates us. It gets you out of bed in the morning and gets you to reach that deadline. And that is fine and good and actually anti-inflammatory. It's when we're under chronic levels of stress and producing high consistent levels of these hormones that the body can really um, 
come out of a place of balance because it's not meant to be that way. Like you, you get used to it in a sense, but your body only has so much reserve to make hormones at levels that are unprecedented for our species. So it's really important to, to implement practices that help your body maintain, you know, adequate hormone production and strong immune function. Cause it's not just everything things that you're going to take, right? It's really the way that we live and the way that we think and the way we relate to others and to ourselves and to our environments that help us develop what I call trust with the body. We are, I believe, embodied souls, embodied spirits, and there's no separation between body, soul, and spirit, but we do need to live in a healthy, harmonious um, union and communion with all of our parts, right? You can't say you do this body and my mind is going to be over here doing these things and yeah. you better follow suit body. Follow along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Body with, with care and compassion and regard and listen when your body tells you something. Symptoms are your body telling you something. So we need to listen and treat it with respect. And that's not what we do typically, is it? Because we've been trained as a society to go, oh, I've got a headache or I feel like this, or just grab some headache tablet or uh, antacid or whatever, and, and I'll just get through. And we're not really addressing those fundamental stress issues. Yeah. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with our emotions. I think also there's this there's an understanding or a stigma that there are good emotions and bad emotions, good feelings and bad feelings, but they're really just signals and information. What we do with them is what's important. So if you are feeling worried or anxious, then that is a signal. It's an opportunity to ask why, to dig deeper. But I think in our culture and society, we're supposed to just push forward and keep moving through. But then we rob ourselves of the opportunity to heal and to learn more about ourselves when we have this dichotomy of experiences. It really is all the human experience and taking the opportunity to to have a deeper relationship with ourselves and also others. I have a toddler and it's okay if you're angry. I understand. Let's talk about why. As opposed to just shutting yourself and other people down, it really yeah, builds a dam and a wall between you and yourself and you and others if you can't keep those pathways of communication open. Absolutely. And I think in menopause, there's a huge amount of change going on in the body anyway, which is perfectly normal and natural. But then we've got all these, uh, if we like, I don't know, you call them a block that we don't address what we feel. We don't listen to these new and strange signals. And, and then we're in a space where we struggle and we feel that we're not very well. Yeah. And there's also just important, an importance in accepting that the transition into menopause is a really, I would say, honored passage. Like a woman has gone through the pre-menstruating years and then the menstruating years and being a you know, child, being able to bear children, whether they do or they don't, but now they're moving into another stage. So you've made it through all these stages. So you've experienced so much, you've learned so much, and now your body's transitioning to this next stage of really like wisdom and experience. And with that comes physiological changes too. So I think we need to develop more of a culture and around supporting women going through that change because now really 
most women at that point are masters of so many things. Like you yes. are, are, you know, a wise woman now. So to treat ourselves as such, I think is really important and to, to not focus so much on the symptoms because many of them really are temporary. And like a lot of the cognitive symptoms, as long as you support the body with some of the, you know, lifestyle practices that help to maintain balance with diet, keeping an anti-inflammatory diet and making sure that you are sleeping properly, well hydrated and do all the good things to take care of yourself and learning how to be therapeutic and taking care of yourself. Many of those symptoms start to dissipate over time, the initial ones, and you can also make them less um, dramatic, shall we say, with the right support. But yes. just knowing that even within that change and transition that there are stages too um that it's not always going to be this way if you can support your body through it now then long term you have the sustainable ease in your body once you get to the next stage of this transition yeah and i think that is an incredibly important point because i think it is not that we don't have continual heart flushes we don't have continual cognitive issues or other things they have like you said stages and phases they can look quite different in the early parts of the perimenopause that there's big hormonal changes where there's maybe more more fluctuating up and down and then suddenly you're somewhere in the middle and maybe you are feeling more estrogen dominance but then you're feeling something different later on towards the end we may have other sets of symptoms appearing so it certainly is an ebb and flow throughout the journey yeah absolutely and you just don't want to ebb and flow too much in one direction <laughs> otherwise you're going to have more symptoms of excesses or deficiencies so the key is really finding that sweet spot where you can accept that your body is going through changes and almost really take stock of all the major gains and progress that you've made up until that time in your life I think it really should be an honored time and at the same time supporting yourself physiologically to get through some of those bigger pendulum shifts back and forth so yeah. that you can can oscillate a little bit more in the middle but I think it's a really good time to just take stock of the progress and uh, you do yeah. it so far in different levels and then looking towards the future because now your body is different um, your mind is different after menopause and what do you want to do with your new superpowers you think how do you want to use this these new this new capacity you have yes yes and I think there is a shift in the conversation towards that direction but there are still a lot of women who are very stuck in and I'm not saying this disrespectfully, but over-identifying with each symptom. So it's almost like they become the symptom. And that's no disrespect to my listeners because they can be very overwhelming, as I know myself. But you're right, there's this accepting of this change and knowing that it will shift and it will pass, that we can draw upon that. And as you said, see that we're in a new, going into a new phase of superpowers which is, is very empowering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also just thinking about how there are shifts, the shifts within the shifts. And I think identifying with one symptom at any given time means you're feeling overwhelmed. You're not used to it. It's just, it's such a, 
it's such a stark difference from how most women used to feel. Some people have very rocky and difficult menstruating years and we're dealing with lots of imbalances through all those years and some find just relief when they get to the perimenopausal and, and <laughs> menopausal years like oh thank god that's over but for those who didn't and don't have that sense of relief it's such a big change and i think it is really important to to accept that yes this is a symptom of a change but it is not all of who I am and it is it will pass and I think part of that is a cultural and societal thing too like we we're obsessed with youth we're obsessed with this like sense of vigor of youth and I think we lose the opportunity to value um I think the honored position of age and of, of experience I have never got into a birthday and thought, man, I wish I was still a year ago or two years ago. I'm always just like, thank God. <laughs> Move past that. Oh, thank God I'm older. I look back and I think, man, I had a lot to learn. So every year you learn more, you experience more, you see where your resilience is or you see where your weaknesses were and hopefully develop compassion around it. But I think part of it is just letting go of that societal script that once you're you're a certain age and you reach a certain stage that you're less valued I think that's just preposterous yeah and sometimes (laughs) identifying with one symptom it's just it can feel so overwhelming because it's yelling at you like you are now a menopausal woman this is what society thinks of you or what this is what it means for you whereas you're you want relief for sure physical relief but it can just feel really overwhelming at the time yeah yeah yeah. just like to think about it a little bit differently I think it makes a a difference when you can shift into yeah regard and self-care and you talked about that you'd experienced different cultures Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because we do know that there certainly are some big cultural differences between how menopause is seen and approached Absolutely. I am originally from Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria and grew up in Nigeria for most of my teenage years and spent a lot of time with my my mom and aunties and, you know, grandparents and things like that. And I I never, not once, heard anything about anyone complaining about menopause. And everyone we knew um, at that age, my mom was reaching perimenopause and menopausal time and I remember asking her if she had a period or something like that and she just looked at me like oh I haven't had a period in years and I thought (laughs) okay and she just looked at me like you know why would you ask that and no it wasn't difficult I I was curious because of you know my background and things that I was learning and she just it, it was so foreign to her to even consider that transition would be problematic and that was really the case with all of her peers. And it's not even a conversation in culture um, or, in, or in healthcare at all from my experience growing up. And, and yes, there are shifts and changes, but it's not at all anything anyone dreads, shall we say, or experiences with much difficulty. And part of that at the time, too, was just like the pace of life. We had fam- multi-generational families, so there's a lot of support. When raising kids and, and caring for the home and, and different relationships to lean on and lots of whole foods eating. We ate right out in the market that came right from the farmers. 
and we're very close to herbal medicine as a form of self-care like we really just didn't go to the doctor and get pharmaceuticals very often I mean ever it was very rare you'd have to be very sick to end up at the doctors in the hospital it was always herbs and food and conversation and community and that was very much like the cultural competency was this how we live and seasonal as well eating according to seasons and that was the norm and it just it was not a conversation at all and then living um, in more western countries living in europe and here it's so different. It's just like this timestamp almost on a woman's life where, okay, here it is. But it's like that with menstruating too. The way people tell young girls about, okay, you're going to start getting your periods now. And oh my goodness, get ready for it. Something to dread. And the same with menopause. Like, okay, here come all the symptoms. But, you know, it's just so different the way we, we talk about these transitions and, and then the expectations that are built based on this, you know, cultural understanding of them. But in the West, it's very much like, here it comes, hold on to your hat, make sure you have all of your medications and all these for um, menstruating girls. It's all, it's not quite right. Let's put you on some birth control pills. That'll balance it out right away. And you don't have these problems anymore. Oh, you're having a hard menopause. Let's put you on this hormone replacement. Whereas the body is not meant to be on hormone replacements. They can help a bit for certain situations. Birth control pills don't fix every hormonal problem, but they are prescribed for every hormonal problem. Yeah, you feel like birth control pills, acne, birth control pills, hairy period, birth control pills, not enough of a hairy heavy period, birth control pills. It's like, my goodness, couldn't it possibly be something else? And same with menopause, it's like hot flashes, HRT, cognitive of deficits, HRT, rub this here, take these pills. It's my goodness. These are natural processes and stages in a woman's life. There have to be natural ways to um, address them. Yes. And I think that contrast between what you've seen in Nigeria also probably reflects women's values as they, older women are really valued in African communities in a completely different way. And I know that also from friends in the Middle East that women lose some of the, you know, taboo around menstruating women, which can be complicated. And suddenly they have this whole new lease of life as older women and they can be out and about and quite feisty in society. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that this is so um, empowering. And in the West, we we're obsessed. We're obsessed with youth, and certainly, particularly, I think in Anglo cultures. I think in places like Southern Europe and France, and even to a certain extent here in Scandinavia, there is a more a, a different approach to being older as well, which is a little bit more aligned with that it's a good time in your life. But there is certainly this in places real youth obsession and a loss of value. And you're right about the medical. Like everything about women's bodies is medicalized. It's like shocking. Like we're women, not science um, experiments. <laughs> What's happening in our bodies is completely and utterly normal. It doesn't need to be wished away or medicated away. Um, it needs to be understood to, to love our bodies and demand respect for our bodies, but also learn our bodies. Like what exactly is going on in this change? What are the the different systems that are related, interrelated, and bringing about these symptoms. How can I support those? 
those are more the questions to be asked. Yes. And if you had to say some things, how can we as women better use lifestyle as well as maybe other ways to improve our menopause transitions and to get a greater level of health? Yeah, that's a great question. I always start with food. I always start with food because it's the one place we have total control. We don't control every process in the body. We can't always control our thoughts and definitely can't control our emotions or external stressors, but we can control what we buy and how we prepare our food, which is our fuel. And it's is what our body is going to use to either create symptoms or to mitigate symptoms. It is our medicine. So I always start with figuring out what for each woman is the most anti-inflammatory diet. And there's so many anti-inflammatory foods and so many healthy foods, but really not every single food is healthy for each person. So I tend to, if a woman is exhibiting just signs of digestive you know, disturbance or even mood shifts that are you know, unwanted, fatigue, especially those are my three focuses and what women often come in with this constellation of symptoms, those three together. And they're often superimposed on top of that is just hormonal shifts, menopause or even menstrual irregularities. And we figure out first and foremost, which foods would work best for them as an anti-inflammatory diet. So for one woman, avocado would be great. And for another one, it would you know contribute to more inflammation. So we figure that out, usually with some testing, and then do like a trial period of taking and inflammatory foods out of the diet. And then after that, finding the best balance for them. So now the fuel you're putting in your body is not going to lead to damage in the gut, shifting the gut microbiome and all the microbes that produce you know, digestive um, components, immune cells, neurotransmitters, all sorts of chemicals that make our bodies go, basically. They make our bodies run. They make us who we are. So that's our, our ground zero is finding the best diet possible to make sure that we're healthy throughout and on, on multiple levels and multiple systems. So that's my first thing. Yeah, start with food. Start with finding a diet that works for you. Because you're right, sometimes I think it doesn't work if you try and do that yourself because you don't really know without support and testing what, what works for you or not. Yeah, and there's I think some sometimes people say, oh, we're just doing elimination diet, take everything out. But some women may need to eat certain proteins or have a certain level of dairy in their diet or whatever because they need that so it's not a one-size-fits-all no way everyone responds to food a little bit differently so it's just important to figure out what works best for your body and at first if you have um, the attitude of just um, playing and exploring and learning it can be really fun to figure out you know if I eat this and I prepare it this way then this is how I feel and I gotta tell you it is really addictive to feel good to feel good and it also it changes your brain chemistry right like when you eat something that you know is good for you and it tastes good you you produce more dopamine dopamine is involved in your reward and pleasure pathways so the more you do that the more you're going to want to do that the more you're going to crave that before you know it you are 
very sustainably choosing foods that help you feel better, but also make you feel good, happy, like actual happy hormones in the, yeah. in the brain and in the body. Yeah. And that is, is really sustainable because your, your body wants to have that experience. Your mind wants to have that experience. Yeah. Um, and you can keep it up because it feels good. Yeah. And I think you do often lose that sort of fogginess and sluggishness that a lot of processed, sugar-laden foods can make us feel. And then we, as you were finding some of those, our own personal kind of mix that, you know, is boosting all those neurotransmitters that make our moods lift. Yes, absolutely. And sugar, processed foods, even if you just read a label, like all the things, you can't even pronounce some of the things in food. It's not technically even food anymore, but even just sugar, pure sugar on its own is inflammatory. <laughs> it, like, it, it um, depresses the function of your immune system for two hours at a time. Yeah. Like your, your immune system just doesn't work now yeah. because of the sugar and it damages the lining of blood vessels it shifts hormones and leads to sugar highs and sugar lows produces more cortisol like sugar is not good for us it no. just, it's not no and in so many packaged foods and before it shifts the balance of your beneficial and non-beneficial bacteria in the gut yeah. and it makes you more susceptible susceptible to um, to infections, to digestive disturbance. Yeah, it makes a big difference if you're eating quite intentionally. Yes, it does. And I think, yeah, you're right, sugar. I studied nutrition under Professor John Yudkin. He wrote a book in the 1970s called Pure, White and Deadly. And that was a book about sugar. And he nearly lost all his research funding because at that time, the sugar industry, of course, were very powerful in who funded what nutrition research and others as they still are today, but not to that extent. And he really stuck with that. He stuck with his view. And I remember maybe 10 years after he'd written the book, he was lecturing that way. And I think it's sad that his research didn't really take hold at that time, because I think we would have saved a lot of people a lot of um, you know, difficulty with their health. From what he researched and, and saw and observed, just how sort of toxic sugar is yeah that's it's it's not surprising but it's always quite disheartening when people just learn and then share you know the fruit of their contemplation the fruit of their learning and it's rejected for um reasons that don't lend themselves to the greater common good i yeah. i had a, a course some continuing education that i attended a few weeks ago and one doctor was dealing with a, a chronic disease and did some research on just changing her diet and just began eating more vegetables like a cup a cup of vegetables with every meal something like that and she noticed how much better she felt so she'd done research she was a researcher by training and she took it to a um, conference that she went to and told some of her colleagues about it. And she said people got up and said, there's no proof that sugar is bad for you. There's no proof that vegetables are good for you. And she was like, oh, <laughs> <God. laughs> who would ever say that? Who's ever had sugar and thought this is the best possible thing for me? And I'm not, I'm not talking about little treats here and there. No. I'm talking about like a whole diet based on processed food and sugar. No one feels good on that. And not for long, at least. No, it wasn't. Any resistance at all was shocking. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that we still, and yet there's so much evidence. And I think that the work that you do with your patients is just, must they must feel so good, Adiola, once they've worked with you. <laughs> they do. And I think that's what keeps me going is that I am, I'm like a, a kid in a candy store when it comes to, no pun intended, but <laughs> when it comes to seeing my patients just thrive and it happens fairly quickly, honestly, once we can dial in with, with comprehensive testing, because if you don't know what you are treating, there's no way you're going to do it very well. So we figure out if there are excesses and deficiencies and vitamins and minerals and hormones, and then we find that right diet for them. And then usually within a couple of weeks in my program, oh, my digestion is so much better. I actually talked to someone yesterday and she, like the first thing in the morning, she looked like she was probably three or four months pregnant. She was so bloated. And then by the end of the day, she was incredibly distended. So we we found the right diet for her and she's going through this process. And now she she doesn't have bloating anymore and this has been for years like years of chronic disease and then this digestive piece had just come to a head and it's only been two weeks and now the bloating is gone the, the discomfort and pain is gone she's figuring out foods that work really well for her body and she feels so good and it's just like the smile on someone's face is it's so motivating for me and then usually within a few weeks it could be the digestive piece or it's like oh I'm waking up without my alarm and is is this what people feel like to be alive to be alive yes <laughs> to wake up and and feel to wake up and feel awake yes that is what it feels like yeah. to be alive or people who there's one woman who had um high blood pressure and had tried some medication really really work and it was i think within a couple of weeks as well and her blood pressure was normal and stayed normal. And she's now I'm craving salads. I've never craved a salad in my life, you know. And I thought, oh, how wonderful. And all of that, wonderful. All of that is just so wonderful. And I get so excited. And I, I tell them, I'm sorry, I it never gets old for me. But best part, even better than that, is when people say, I think I've been working too hard, and I'm just going to spend the evenings without working from now on. Oh, wow. Or I've been working 70 hours a week, which just sounds impossible. And I'm just going to put my resume out because I know my skills can be used somewhere or they'll respect my time. Or I'm going to start that YouTube channel I've always wanted to because I feel better now. It's just like the moving onward to build healthy relationships and set healthy boundaries and then going for their goals because now they feel better. I think I just do this process of having women especially go through these programs as I see how limited we feel by our physical health. When you don't feel well, when you're tired, when digestion is off, when you're feeling anxious or depressed or both or, or just dealing with just so much pressure in different environments it's really hard for you to take a pause and think about who it is you are what it is you want to do what kind of impact you want to make and through this process I'm able to facilitate with women they come to that place and start really 
reaching for the stars and then it's like watching a flower bloom it's just so incredibly rewarding to see people start to reach their full potential on so many different levels that that, that is true holistic health isn't it absolutely and it's it's a real honor i mean i have one more but i'm someone who just finished my program she said right at the beginning that part of her stress was work and she is a social worker and she was working with this incredibly demanding population, but she just started dabbling in private practice. Yeah. So we were probably four, four weeks in and I said, we're going to be wrapping up soon because the program is about 40 days, so about six weeks. And I said, you said stress was a big thing and you're straddling these two. And next week we're going to talk about your plan to minimize or mitigate that stressor yeah. and I want you to think all week about what it's going to take and that's not my tummy hurts fix my tummy that's you know you this is an obstacle to your cure to your thriving is the situation and it's not sustainable for you it's causing physical harm to yeah. your body so yeah it, it needs to be addressed so we came back the next week and I wasn't sure what she would come back with but she had a complete exit plan for shifting in the next few months into oh, private wow. she had wow. to the other doctors she had gotten on the insurance she had gotten all these resources together in one week with you know things that she hadn't had the bandwidth to do for years she had figured out a whole plan and made connections and talked to a lawyer like she had done so many things in one week and had all this to report and all I did was tell her to think about it but she had so much more bandwidth now that she was off and running I gave her one resource for someone that I know who she could refer back and forth with and that's all I had to do but it was just being able to facilitate that kind of shift it was just incredibly beautiful that is beautiful Ariola, I love your work and I love your approach that is so all-encompassing how can the listeners uh, get in touch with you and and learn more about your work thank you uh, yes so you can check out my website it's www. and for my programs usually i have a complimentary consult uh, that's about 15 minutes and then we can figure out if it's a good fit for you and how to move forward um and that's the best way to do it is just to go on my website and schedule a complimentary consult. I actually have also started working corporate wellness consultant as well, mostly because a lot of the women I see work in these high pressure corporate environments. Yeah. That's where a lot of the stress is coming from and a lot of the fatigue and digestive disturbance and hormonal imbalances. And it's from this, this um, pervasive culture where they have to spend their day without being able to really focus on what's important and prioritize their health. So I've developed um, some wellness programs that can be used in a corporate setting where employers can just show, not just say, but show that it is okay for their employees to prioritize their health and they have the support of the organization and then putting them through a similar process of figuring out dietarily what's helpful and putting them through a sort of, I call it self-care school and how to implement therapeutic self-care over a series of weeks and then 
before that people are just happy to be somewhere where they're being invested in. Exactly. You have much less burnout, much less absenteeism or presenteeism where people are sick, but still working anyway, but not yeah. very productive. Um, and most importantly, you develop a culture. There's a real culture of camaraderie when everyone is working towards achieving their best health together. And they can count on their co-workers and management to support them in that endeavor. And that is extremely vital, I think, in today's world where we have been in a strange working environment. We are transitioning to a new way of working and organizations that can work with you and support their employees to improve their well-being is only a win-win for all parties. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in this time where there's so much more mental health needs becoming apparent. It's just really hard to not be in a physical space with your coworkers and like having the goodness, the boundary between work and home blur in your own home where you like wake up and you turn on your computer right away and then you have an, an incredible yeah. amount of tasks to complete and you don't add people who like weren't taking bathroom breaks and oh, drinking water. Goodness. Just letting self-care slide completely whereas before you'd go to work you have a commute time you could take a break you could take a yeah. walk at lunch time yeah. decompress on your way home there were just there was a separation and then you could be home but now there's no separation no. No. um working late into the night starting in the morning having emails all the time so there there needs to be some important boundaries set but it's a real opportunity, I think, for, for organizations to show that they care and then to develop still a sense of, of a team, even though people are away from each other, they can still collaborate if they know that the organization cares for their individual yeah. health yeah. and not just the health of the company. Yeah. Adiola, it has been my pleasure to have you sharing so much depth and knowledge. Thank you for being my guest on the show. It has just been, I hope for the listeners, a really valuable insight into naturopathic medicine and your approach to it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you and yeah, having this experience to share more about what I'm able to, to facilitate with patients, which is, is musing a bit on it's the wonder that it is to be a woman and to have different stages and just learning more to, to honor those stages and support our bodies and each other too. We're all in this together. So I think um, that's really important. I've just really enjoyed chatting with you more about that. Me too. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.